Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, phone lines are open throughout the show, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. If you think that Kyle Shanahan is the reason the 49ers are not Super Bowl champions, give us a call, 833-804-0910. If you have any thoughts on the Commander's offseason, VCU Hoops, or anything else that we discuss here daily on The Fan, give us a call, 833-804-0910. You can always tweet us throughout the show, at AWOD Radio or at 910thefan. If it's a good tweet, we will read it on air. We'll continue our college basketball discussion right now. Joining us on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, National College Hoops reporter Kevin Sweeney. What's going on, Kevin? What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great, man. Let's get right into it. I know you usually travel to a ton of games. What's the best team you've seen in person this season? You know, I've seen Purdue and UConn, who have you know certainly separated themselves a little bit nationally. I still believe Purdue is the best team in the country. They have Zach Eady, the National Player of the Year, but you know, really the difference this year is Braden Smith, who last year was more of a game manager at point guard. This year, to me, he's maybe the best point guard in all of college basketball. He's, mm. he's just been tremendous. And so, when you have that combination, right? If you could start a team with an elite point guard and elite center, you'd be pretty happy with that result. That's what Purdue has. Kevin Sweeney with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. You know, there was all this talk in the offseason about all these major transfers. Is there one or two guys that you'd point to as being a total success? I think most people would probably argue Hunter Dickinson, right? Yeah, cer- certainly Hunter's been what you'd expect. I-, I think given his track record at Michigan, it was you know almost a guarantee that he would be incredibly productive. You know, I think the, the other big-name transfer – was a guy who probably flew a little bit under the radar, was a highly recruited transfer, but maybe not the name uh, that, that other guys had. Dalton Connect, uh, who yeah. went up at Tennessee, transferred from Northern Colorado, has been one of the best players in the SEC. A big wing who can really shoot, has, has become a bona fide first-round draft pick in the NBA uh, coming up this summer, potentially even a top 20, maybe even a lottery pick. He's been been huge for a Tennessee team with, with high aspirations. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Tennessee because uh... – They've been the best defensive team that I've seen play this season. They're always really good on that end of the floor and, uh, you know, have, have great rim protection. Um, you know, certainly Houston would be in that conversation as well defensively. But I think the, the difference for Tennessee this year is that they can really score, right? In the, in the past, when you think about the March struggles that they've had under Rick Barnes, they've, they've had to grind it out in games. And this year, certainly they can do that, but – you know, they've also scored with a lot of teams. They're top 15 in Ken Palm offense. Uh, Connect is a big part of that. Zakai Ziegler, their point guard, a big part of that. Uh, they play four guards now, which is something that you know they haven't really done under under Barnes. So uh, I think they've got a great recipe and a real chance to, to push for a Final Four. Follow Kevin on social media at CBB underscore Central College Hoops for Sports Illustrated. Check out his work, SI.com. What would you argue has been the best conference in college basketball this season? Yeah, I still think it's the Big 12. Look, I mean, obviously realignment has changed things a little bit. 14 teams this year instead of 10. But, you know, Houston has come into the league and immediately been arguably the best team. And then you trickle down from there and you have BYU, one of the new entrants, who's top 15 in Ken Palm. And Cincinnati's a potential NCAA tournament team. You add that to the, the staples in this league, Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech, Iowa State is having a phenomenal year. And, you know, the, just the depth in this league is, is off the charts. 
Kevin, what about the best coach this season? I, I've kind of admired the job that Shaka Smart has done this year at Marquette. I mean, Shaka's done an unbelievable job, obviously, retaining that roster. Uh, they were so good last year, and you know, it's so hard in this day and age to uh, to do that. And I think he's done a great job of keeping the, the chemistry intact. In to me, I'm making a national coach of the year right now, it's Lamont Paris at South Carolina, coming completely out of nowhere. Uh, last year, they were really, really bad this first season as head coach, dealing with you know just a lot of outside stuff. Gigi Jackson was the you know elite high school player in the state. He comes to, to town. All this excitement just wasn't ready to contribute, and, and it put them in a really difficult position. Uh, this year, just kind of rebuilt it with transfers. Nobody flashy, uh, but, but a great example of a team that the, the whole is a lot greater than the sum of the parts. And uh, to be 21-3, and 9-2 and two in the league says everything about the job that, that Paris has done in South Carolina. We got Kevin Sweeney with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. I'm Adam Epstein. This is AWOD Radio on 910 The Fan in Richmond, Virginia. So let's get to some of the local schools that we cover here, Kevin. We'll start with UVA. What are your thoughts on Tony Bennett's squad, winners of eight in a row? I mean, they're surging at the right time. Uh, I think a month ago I would have been really concerned about where this team was. You know, They just didn't look very talented. And we're getting blown out on the road by you know Notre Dame and Wake Forest and you, know, you started to question, like, was this a year that they could make the NCAA tournament? Now, not only do I think they'll make it, I think they're going to make some noise because you know, they've just kind of found their stride defensively, uh, have a little bit more interior punch here lately by putting Jordan Minor, the Merrimack transfer, into the rotation. And, you know, they're, they're veteran guards, you know, led by Reese Beekman, obviously gives you a chance to, to make some noise. So, you know, I, I think they're playing as well as any team in the ACC right now. Um, and still eternalized right now, probably mocked as you know a seven, eight, nine seed in, in the big dance, but you know some upward mobility there if they continue to win. Yeah, I think they could probably get as high as four or five, maybe. How about the the rest of the ACC? How many schools will make the big dance? Probably four or five. You know, mm-hmm. Carolina, Duke, uh, Clemson, and Virginia are in great position right now. Not a lot of other teams really emerging. Wake Forest is is the best hope. Uh, they've looked the part for the most part, but haven't delivered that big win yet. They have a big game Saturday at Virginia. Blew out Virginia at home. If they can win that game at ho- on the road, I think it would vault them into the NCAA tournament. But for now, just on the wrong side of the bubble. And then a lot of these teams have a lot of work to do to, to get back into the mix. Miami, obviously, struggling a little bit off of the Final Four, 6-7 and seven in the league. They'd have to really turn it on. Pittsburgh has the road win at Duke, but the overall resume pretty lacking at the moment. You know, there's time, right? But at, at some point these teams are going to have to make a run if, if 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 there's a team other than Wake who's on the bubble right now who wants to to really make a push towards the big dance. Yeah, it feels like the Hokies are, are going to have to get hot and win the conference tournament there in Washington D.C. Uh, do you do you give them any chance to get a bid if they could you know steal a road win at North Carolina and then beat UVA when they come to Blacksburg next week? Yeah, I, I, look, I, I forgot to mention them. that they're, they're still in the conversation because they actually accomplished something in the non-conference. I mean, mm-hmm. that neutral court win over Iowa State is massive, and even before that, you know, to have beaten Boise, who's a potential NCAA tournament team out of the Mountain West, I mean, that's that's big-time stuff. Yeah, And, and, and so, Kevin, they had South Carolina. They had that game, and then they lost by two. Yeah, yeah. you just can't let those slip. I mean, it's good, you know, good proof. Obviously, every game matters at the time. It, it felt like a bad loss. Now it's a it's brutal that you didn't get it to top the resume. Um, but look, yeah, they, they have to turn it on. Obviously, the Notre Dame loss over the weekend was, was not good. Uh, but, but you can find a way to win something like that on the road to Carolina, on the road of, at, at you know Virginia or home of Virginia, excuse me. Like 
win those types of games, and you're right back in the conversation. We are 910 The Fan, Richmond's home of VCU basketball. The Rams 8 and 3, but it's the Richmond Spiders atop of the A10 at 9 and 1. Did that catch you by surprise at all? Yeah, look, I saw Richmond earlier in January when they came to Chicago and played at Loyola, and they just have. They just have a winning DNA and a good recipe, right? They're not the most talented team in the Atlantic 10 by a long shot, but Jordan King has just been phenomenal. And you, you add him to Neil Quinn, and you know, these wings really are, are willing to get down and defend, and you piece that together, and you have a chance to win games in a league that's very wide open. Uh, so much has been defined by close games. And really, I mean, if you look at Richmond and Loyola, the two big surprises in the Atlantic 10, those teams have been awesome in close games. Yeah. And if you continue to do that, you're going to have an opportunity to, to play deep into March. So Richmond's certainly a big surprise, and, and huge credit to Chris Mooney because I think a lot of people thought this would be a really rough year instead, uh, you know, opportunity to potentially win the league. Yeah, and as for VCU, let me pat us on the back a little bit here. Of the four teams in the top four in the A-10, Richmond, Dayton, Loyola, and VCU, the Rams have beaten all of them. Their only losses came to St. Bonaventure and GW in conference play, so it feels like the Rams do have a chance to end up winning the A-10 regular season still with games against Richmond and Dayton again. But what are your thoughts on this conference? Is this a two-bid league, maybe even one bid, if somebody outside of Dayton wins? Yeah, Dayton is relatively secure in their path to the NCAA tournament. Um, they will go, you know, save for a massive collapse. Everyone else, I think, has a lot of work to do, right? Like, I, I think VCU, Loyola, and Richmond, to be serious at-large contenders, would probably have to come close to winning out the rest of the way in the regular season. And at that point, you kind of look at it and you're like, would I rather win three games in the Atlantic 10 tournament or eight in February, right? Like, I think realistically the best path for all those teams is that the conference tournament. I think two bids is the most likely outcome. Someone taking down Dayton in the league tournament uh, and getting that second bid for the conference. But I think it's going to be hard out large-wise just because you know, some of the lack of accomplishment in, in the non-league. Obviously, VCU is you know, piecing it together with a new team, but that home loss to Norfolk will hurt them. Um, you know, Richmond didn't do a ton in the non-league, right? Like, new, neutral UNLV, okay, fine, like, Wichita has obviously slumped, but that's not a game you wanted to lose looking back on it. But, you know, and Loyola had some some trip-ups as they were incorporating a lot of new transfers and things like that. So the, the non-conference did not do the A-10 too much justice, and because of that, I think it's going to be hard for for teams outside of Dayton to get in without winning the league tournament. Yeah, I, I totally – I mean, the Rams had Iowa State and had Memphis. Those would have been huge for VCU. That's Kevin Sweeney. Follow him on social media at CBB underscore Central. What have you been working on that you want to promote? Uh, you know, been starting up our bracketology over at SI. You can check that out, uh, SI.com. And then, um, you know, a lot of other kind of bigger picture stuff. I wrote a feature probably a week ago about John L. Davis, the, uh, the star at FAU, who yeah. obviously got on a lot of radars last March and I think has a chance to, to be on even more radars this March. Yeah, I, I saw them in Orlando. Uh, so much talent, and he is so much fun to watch. Uh, just an amazing crossover. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It's been a great marriage for FAU and a uh, kid who's pretty easy to root for. Got a great story, so check that one out. Awesome. Kevin, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Yep, that's Kevin Sweeney. Follow him, CBB underscore Central. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910, Let's go about out to the phone lines. We've got Jerry in New Kent. What's going on, Jerry? Hey, I have an idea. I heard the, the guys this morning on the Junkie Show talking about Purdy and 
I remember one of them saying, well, I think he was speaking for for the command. He was acting like he was speaking for the commander. He said, give us Purdy. You know? <laughs> and my idea is, let's do that. Let's give them that draft choice that everybody talks about, and we take Purdy. That's my suggestion. You want us to give up the number two overall pick for the guy that was drafted last in the NFL, Mr. Irrelevant? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but he's proven himself as a winner. He's definitely a winner, but I, here's what I would argue, is that I think that a guy like Caleb Williams, even a Drake May, has more upside than Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's been good. He's been a, a winner, but a lot of people would still argue he's a game manager. He was great in the Super Bowl, don't get me wrong, but there were times this season where he let the 49ers down. Without Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, I think he's just an average quarterback. Well, I, I mean, I'm just saying, because Caleb seems to be everything I've read about Caleb is he's a little bit of a head case. Yeah, fingernails, and he does all this other crap. I mean, if you're going to take, if you're going to put that pick, take great. No, there's certainly a lot of red flags with Caleb Williams that people have brought up. Here's one thing I would argue. Caleb Williams was the best quarterback in college football this season by far on third down. He had more touchdowns than anyone, more yards than anybody, and less interceptions on third down. That's a guy that I like. I I get what you're saying, though. Why would we take a shot on a rookie when we could get a proven winner, right? That's right. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. I'm with you, man. Old, you remember, if you were around, George Allen used to do that. He'd pick all the old veterans, and they wound up going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think the the issue is, Jerry, is that we've been looking for a quarterback for 30 years to call our own. We need a franchise quarterback. Yeah. Purdy's a Niners guy, you know. <laughs> all right. Sounds yeah. good. Yep. Good call, Jerry. Appreciate you chiming in. Eight three three eight zero four zero nine ten. You're listening to AWOD Radio on the Fan. Welcome back. What up, what up, what up? It's AWOD here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, back in studio here in Richmond, Virginia. Stubb doing our first in-person show in basically two weeks. Yeah, 12 days. I know. I could tell you missed me. I did. I did. (laughs) I I hate being all alone in here. Yeah, right? You were alone. It's it's lonely. Doing the show. Uh, but you worked so hard during Super Bowl week. I wanted to uh, to give you credit for that. Uh, you know, a little behind the scenes, inside radio here. Because my show is nine to noon. A lot of the best interviews we did was after the show. So Stubb was staying around, working extra hours, so we could record interviews with Annie Agar, with Doug Williams, uh, with you know all the great guests that we had. I, you know, who I really liked was Jake Plummer. And do you know right. the story about Jake Plummer? So Jake, no. Jake the Snake, Jake Plummer, right? Went to ASU, really cool guy. Then Arizona, that's when I first remember him uh, playing with the Cardinals against the Commanders, or the Skins back then. Then he went to Denver and had a really good career. Well, since then, he's been the weed guy promoting cannabis. <laughs> well, when I interviewed him, he had moved past cannabis, and he was promoting right, he, fungus Yeah, he and, was talking about his fungus and mushrooms. And it was, I was thrown off by it. And I didn't realize when I took the picture with him, he put his arm on my shoulder. Everyone was zooming in at his fingernails because he had them painted different colors. Well, he's doing a Caleb Williams bit. Yeah, yeah. He's doing a different bit. Dudes paint their nails yeah, now. Yeah, I know. I don't have a problem with yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Right? I, I, yeah. I got no issue with I'm this. I'm just out of college. If you're going to throw have... for 30 touchdowns a year, I'm in. You can or, do whatever you yes, want. Yes, absolutely. So phone lines are open if you want to chime in. 833-804-0910. Let's go back to the phone lines. We got Dolphin Dave. What's going on, Dolphin Dave? Hey, well, it was great to hear you out there, and I have one very pressing question. Yes. Is Annie Agar as hot as she looks on video? Even hotter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Did you like that interview? <laughs> I, the, I, I was, you know what? I don't get to listen much. Uh, the rate, actually, I, I listened afterwards because I was at work. But when I was, I, I went right back that afternoon to listen to that interview. It was actually a phenomenal. First, I was very jealous you were meeting her. <laughs> and then the other thing is, um, and the other thing was, was you know, the, the history, honestly, is interesting because I didn't know who, of all the people that turned me on towards my daughter, uh, <laughs> just happened to catch it. And she's the one that starts sending me the TikTok videos. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought it was a great interview. And I thought what she does, I mean, that has got to be difficult to do to write that. I don't know if she's got other writers, but to write that and actually just film that. And like, I think she said that she tried to get it done by Tuesday afternoon. If I remember that interview, right. So, um, no, it was a great interview, but I was very, very jealous because, <laughs> you know, I not only do I hang on to all her words, I hang on to watching her while she does it. No, so, she, you know. she's impressive. I'll, I'll give you a little in, inside information uh, about Annie. Look, she, it's impressive because here's what she has that other girls don't. There's a lot of girls that have, like, become NFL influencers and they go to the games and they look hot and they take photos and they interview the players and it's all about looking hot. And Annie looks hot, but while being a stand-up comedian and trying to be funny. And, you know, stand-up comedy is the hardest thing in the entertainment industry. You're up there on stage without a guitar. You're just using your own voice trying to be funny. And so I, that's what I thought was so impressive is that she she might, you know, swing and miss on some of these jokes, but it doesn't affect her um, from keep going. And here's another little insight, Dolphin Dave. After the interview, all right, uh, we hung out a little bit, and, and we talked, and then the next day, I ran into her, and she was like, Adam, how are you? She actually gave me her phone number, and we were going to go uh, shoot craps at MGM, <laughs> and then I actually, oh. I uh, <laughs> I turned down Annie Agar to go see you two at the Sphere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? That would have been a tough thing for me. Yeah, right? that's a tough call. <laughs> right? I really like I really like you too, but I really like her too. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I like that, you that, too, that, but I like her. You too. Been, <laughs> I like her. Uh, that that would have been a tough call. Yeah. But before you go, I have to tell you this one. You're talking about Jake Plummer. Yeah. And she he was now he was doing uh, mushrooms basically. Yeah. You know what? The one guy they met this mushroom that was a real jerk, but actually found out he was a fun guy. It, it did a joke. Wait, that was a joke. He said fun guy. <laughs> That's all right. It went over my head. Sorry, Sorry, Dave. Sorry, Dave. Sorry, Dave. I'm, not, I'm not that bright. <laughs> you tried. You tried. All right, we'll talk to you later. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on The Fan. So I was at Vegas but did not stay for the big game. But how about the story of these pals, three guys that have been to every single Super Bowl? Here's the story. Most people would consider themselves lucky to get to one big game. But three men are the last three surviving members of the Never Miss a Super Bowl Club. They have been to every one. It is Tom Henschel, 80 years old, Don Crisman, 85, and Gregory Eaton, 82. They were in Vegas. Uh, they saw the Super Bowl this past weekend, and there was a whole story about them on CNN. They say this year was the fifth game that the three men have attended together. The $2,500 tickets are a bit more than the $12 it cost them to attend Super Bowl One back in 1967. <laughs> 
It's a bit. It's a, it's a it's slight a increase. They, they were interviewed and they said, when I hit 25, I knew maybe I could hit 40. And then I hit 40 and I said, I really have to hit 50. Now their goal is 60. They have been to all 58 of the Super Bowls. I think I think it's a great bit. Like I, me and my friends, I'll, I'll give Connor and, and Kevin a shout out. We go to every A10 conference tournament for VCU, right? right? Been to Brooklyn almost every year. Went to Pittsburgh that one year. Went to Washington D.C. We've done this every year since 2011 when I started at VCU, and they were in the CAA tournament. So we're at what now? 13 in a row. All That's right, pretty not good, bad. but not 58 level. And it's a conference tournament, not nearly as cool as the Super Bowl. <laughs> But it's yeah, something. That's, it's it's cool to have a tradition with your friends like that. It is. It's it's an expensive one. Yeah. It's not it's not one most people can afford. For sure. To for do sure. It, unless we go back to the, oh twelve dollars. I know. Can I you? know. Right. <laughs> to get to a Super Bowl. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild. My dad and I went to one Skins game every year uh, for probably the first twenty five years of my life because we had seventeen years in a row we were season ticket holders and before and after that we would just go. Uh, to a game. But yeah, I, you gotta love the never miss a Super Bowl club and we'll tweet out the photos at 910 the fan at AWOD Radio. They have these awesome custom made jackets that say Super Bowl 58 Las Vegas do. and it says never miss a Super Bowl club. <laughs> it's a cool club. How do you think their wives feel? Every year oh, I'm going to meet up with Don and Greg again. This year we're going to Vegas. Hey, at that point if they're 80 they probably aren't working. They're, yeah. they're home together every other day. They can they can take a little trip to, to Kansas, I mean to Vegas yeah, I love the end of the article. It says, despite their advanced age, health <laughs> concerns, and the ever-increasing cost of attendance, the triumvirate gathered again this year in Vegas for Super Bowl 58, driven by their love of the game and the thrill of getting together each year. They come out to enjoy the game, even if their favorite teams don't make it. As this year's case, Eaton's beloved Lions fell just oh. short. Uh, I believe Don is... Um, a pa- uh, Patriots fan. Okay. So they probably seen, hate him. Yeah, I know, right? He's seen a lot of victories of Tom Brady. So good, good <laughs> oh, for the him. Poor Lions guy. Yeah. So I guess there were more members of the club, but these are the th- the last three surviving members oh. of the never miss a Super Bowl club. Yeah, I mean, if you've been to fifty eight, right? You, there's no way you started going when you were like eighteen, right? So you're probably at least twenty, which means you've got to be at least seventy eight or older. That's that's wild. You got yeah. You can't really recruit. Yeah. Any new members? Yeah, I know, right? Now shout out to those three. I just love how it's like it's a good friends bit, right? Yeah. What they should have done is they should should have dressed up in Vegas as Alan from The Hangover and done bits like that because that's what Jason Kelsey did. Did you see that picture? I did not see that. He dressed up as Alan. Everybody was doing Hangover bits all week long. I kind of loved it. Like as soon as we got to Caesar's Palace, we were like, "Is this the real Caesar's Palace?" You know, uh, we were, Michael Phillips was like, uh, don't lose AWOD, check the roof. You know, we're, we're all doing hangover I love the hangover. Only. I didn't realize how much cultural relevance it still oh, had. I don't oh, know if yeah. people are still doing oh, hangover yeah. bits. Somebody walked around with a fake baby, right? They were doing that <laughs> bit. I know. Then, then even during pregame of the Super Bowl, the whole CBS broadcast was doing a fake hangover, like, movie. And mm-hmm. who did they call for advice? Ed Helms. <laughs> and Ed was like, make sure you check the roof. And he was like, oh, God, please don't tell me you had a face tattoo. <laughs> All right. Good good, good for the hangover. hangover I'm, glad, I'm yeah. glad that it's it's pervade. I think the Super Bowl Vegas was such a big deal that the writers might be getting together for Hangover 4. Back they to do. Vegas. The legacy sequel is big right now. Right? Which I'm against. Yeah, really? Oh, yeah. I will say, I didn't <laughs> like the one that was in Thailand. 
That's the one. I, that I've did only not seen like. the original. You've only seen the original. I've only seen the original. Well, I've heard three isn't worth watching. Oh, it's not. But yeah, <laughs> it's not a hole. Yeah, The Hangover Two isn't a, isn't a hole. I think you have to see. Like, have you seen uh, Harold and Kumar? No. You see, you have to see all the Harold and Kumars, <laughs> even the Christmas one. That's awful and it's in 3d you have like to see every it. movie you've ever seen you think that i have well, to if have you're seen. a fan if you consider yourself a fan of the series right you have to see all the hangovers you have to see all the harold and kumars or you have to see all the fast and furiouses i do not have to see all the fast and furiouses <laughs> i'm comfortable with like the five i've seen <laughs> phone lines are open 833-804-0910 833-804-0910 the commander's have hired their head coach, they've hired their offense coordinator, their special teams coach, and yesterday they hired Pagano to be a senior defensive coach. It's the Richmond Commander coming up next. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, and we encourage you all to download the Odyssey app today for free. You can take the show on the go. Just search 910 The Fan. You can hear me Monday through Friday from 12 to 3 p.m. It gives you the ability to pause the show, run some errands, rewind, and then pick up right where you left off. Also, every day we post the podcast each hour of the show, plus a best of AWOD radio hour. It's available for you on your ride home on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or iTunes. Joining us right now... On the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline from CBS here in town locally to run around local sports in Richmond, Virginia, it's Lane Casadante. What's going on, Lane? Adam, good afternoon. Welcome back from Las Vegas. And the question that everyone is asking in their heads, did your laptop make it back from Vegas? <laughs> yes, it did. And TSA, I think they listen to my show. They changed their rules. You didn't have to take your laptop out of the backpack anymore. They said they had a brand new machine that could scan the laptop. <laughs> Yeah, but not every airport has that. I, we, we traveled over the holidays, and I noticed that same thing because uh, my son, who was paranoid about this stuff, took everything. I think he would have stripped down to his underwear if they asked him to. <laughs> but uh, I just threw my bag up there and said, do what you want with it. And uh, <laughs> I didn't have to take it out. That, that, so that, that's, a, that's an improvement. I agree. Lane, the best story that I actually have never told on air, though, is when I was 13, my parents, no, I, I might have been even less than that. My parents picked me up from school, and we went straight from school to the airport to go meet our grandparents at Cabo San Lucas, right? And I had come from arts and crafts class, and I didn't realize there were a pair of scissors in my backpack. Went through TSA, and they stopped us, pulled out the scissors, and they're like, does this kid know what he's doing? What an idiot! It was the most embarrassing thing in my life, Lane. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I, I mean, keeping the world free from ten-year-olds with scissors is—I <laughs> I believe that's in the—that's in the TSA mantra. So I, I guess they have to do that. Yeah. Hey, what's the biggest sports story in your world today, man? Oh, let me think. Well, we just obviously we just got through with you know everything in Vegas and the Super Bowl, the most watched. Uh, you know, TV event in history since the landing on the moon. I saw that. I, I heard that this morning. It was the most watched TV event since the moon landing. And the first thing I thought of was, oh, so now the Super Bowl is fake too. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're in trouble either way that you go. But uh, um, this week, really, this is a, a bit of a quiet week because uh, the Rams don't play till Friday and they play on the road. I know Coach Odom spoke this morning. Uh, Richmond is home tomorrow, but then they're on the road this weekend. 
it's a little bit of a lull this week um, with a lot of our teams playing away from home um, and getting that half of their conference schedule uh, taken care of. So a couple of big wins this past weekend for Richmond and VCU, and that top four of the A-10 is really starting to distance itself from the rest of the pack. You know who the sports lull is bad for, Lane? That's Kyle Shanahan. His decision in overtime looks terrible. More and more people are going to jump on him for blowing a 10-point lead again in the Super Bowl. How about his play calling? They went three and out three straight times without even running the ball with Christian McCaffrey. This sports lull is terrible for Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, and obviously hindsight being twenty twenty, you can critique and criticize his decision in overtime. I... I really don't have I don't have a problem with it because you have to remember I believe his defense just came off the field at the end of regulation. Yeah. So that may have factored into his decision to give his deep cuz both of those defenses were gassed by the end of the fourth quarter. They had played all out that entire game and I would not fault him if that was part of his decision making there um in order to give his defense another 5-10 minutes of rest against Patrick Mahomes, I actually thought going in, and I said this to anybody that asked me for a prediction, I, I, I said, I think San Francisco is the better team, but I refuse to bet against Patrick Mahomes for exactly the reason that we saw. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. That's why I was able to place a bet at halftime and win money on the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the biggest issue with Shanahan's decision in overtime was his explanation that we wanted the ball for the third possession if both teams get a field goal or both teams get a touchdown and an extra point. But the Chiefs have already come out and said, we planned all week long, knowing the new overtime rules, if the 49ers scored a touchdown, we were going to score a touchdown and then go for two. There would have been no third possession for Kyle Shanahan. Well, and actually, in, in his defense, I did not know the Chiefs had said that earlier in the week. If they did, I missed it. But um, I understand their strategy as well. I actually, me personally, I was panicking at the clock. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't know the new rules. And, you know, they're being lackadaisical in the red zone. And I said, there's only 10 seconds left because I thought after the first overtime, we've never gotten this far before. And I thought they would flip a coin and kick off again for the second overtime. I didn't know that they would treat it like a quarter and just flip fields. I, I heard yesterday, though, and I can't remember who said it, what happens if we had gotten through a second period of overtime? Do they have Usher come out and do another halftime show, or how does any of that work? <laughs> It'd be Alicia Keys, and this time she's got to be on note. She can't be off key. <laughs> Or, or you, you look up in the stand and say, uh, Taylor, we could use, you know, like a three-song set. Can you, you know, <laughs> hey, do you mind? Yeah, are you I, not... I don't know what they would have done. <laughs> are you too I, hammered you, or you not? Love... <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? God bless her. The, um, <laughs> you, you live for chaos like that because you live to see people make decisions in real time. And just to see what happens because uh, none of us have ever been to that point before. But that was, I mean, a fantastic game. The NFL can't ask for any more than that a game that comes down to overtime and, uh, and and players making plays, not someone screwing up or an official taking it away from someone. That was more, I think, it was more Kansas City winning it than San Francisco losing it. Yeah, and it was a terrific game, and I had a great week in Vegas, but I am jealous that I wasn't at the stew Friday night as the Dayton Flyers came to town and VCU got a stop at the buzzer to get the win. Lane, what was that like? I have never seen a team that went 
the final six minutes of regulation without scoring actually win. <laughs> um, it was one of the most bizarre rock fights of a game. And that, uh, Dave, uh, Ryan Odom used that phrase. So uh, I'm not speaking out of turn here. Um, it was, it was a, a fantastic defensive effort by the Rams, but um, we, I don't think personally, I don't think we've seen them play a complete game yet. We've seen games where their offense has come out and been lights out and they can't miss from the outside. And then we've seen games where their defense is just locked down. Uh, but I don't know that we've seen both of that in the same game. It is obviously something to which they are working. It'll be fantastic to see it when and if it happens. Um, but right now they're kind of playing, you know, either, either we're going to, we're going to shut them down or we're going to try to outscore them. And you're never quite sure the defense is taking more. The defense has taken more of uh, uh, the spotlight in the last few games since, you know, they had that meeting and talked about it and, you know, worked on their box outs, which uh, was the problem against in the game up at St. Bonaventure. So credit to Ryan Odom and his, his staff and his players for getting the message and really uh, following through on it. But now, you know, now you kind of want to see them uh, be able to get their offense going again, too, at the same time. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I've been saying Ryan, Ryan Odom's secret sauce is being able to challenge the players to meet their standard. Robbie Robinson said yesterday on the show, it seems like they don't make the same mistake twice. If they lose a game because of rebounding, they sure damn rebound the next game. And I would 100% agree with you that they haven't played a full 40 minutes. They haven't played to the best of their abilities at all this season. It feels like a lot of games there's some defensive lulls or there's a four-minute stretch where they have a scoring drought. Hopefully they don't get to 100% playing their best until Brooklyn, Lane. Yeah, and one of the other things, I th- and I, I wasn't at the uh, the press conference with Coach Oden this morning, but I kind of wanted to ask him, uh, Fats Billups did not get on the floor in the uh, in the Dayton game the other night, and I, I didn't know, you know, that shortens their bench shortens their rotation, but I didn't know if there was a reason for it, if he was injured, if it was a coach's decision, if, you know, the situation, you know, dictated a different strategy. But I, I, I think that's the first game all year where he has kind of been, I know they don't do this in basketball, but kind of a healthy scratch, if you know what I mean. Um, and I think that bears watching moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't complain at all. I mean, look, we all want Fats, the local kid, to succeed, uh, but the team has been I think 9-1 in their last 10 games. Uh, a lot of that has to do with more playing time for Michael Bell. That's cut into Fats Phillips' playing time. Joe Bamisil being you know such a volume shooter and, and scorer. And, and so I think Odom has definitely shortened the rotations. You haven't seen Roosevelt Wheeler either and look, it, it's worked out to the team's benefit, so it's hard to question that. Yeah, exactly. You can't. You cannot uh, argue with the results. That, that's. You're absolutely right. Uh, I just. I, I thought it was interesting because I had to go back and check the box score because I, I was at the game and I said I don't think I saw him on the court. And as it turns out, I, I didn't. Uh, and I. I just think that bears some watching moving forward. But you know, you're right. If they're winning, then you cannot argue with the strategy or the formula because uh, it's going to get them out of playing on Wednesday up in Brooklyn and they will only need three get you know two games to get this Sunday and three to win it all instead of uh, that extra game. 
Lane, before we let you go, let's show the Spiders some love. They are 9-1 in the 8-10 first place, 17-6 overall. And what my, me and Michael Phillips talked about was, man, their schedule is really favorable for them over the next four games. UMass, GW, Rhode Island, Dayton, and then at St. Louis. I mean, they really don't have enough a tough game until uh, they host VCU on March 2nd. Yeah, VCU has, still has to go to Dayton and to Richmond, so the Rams have a little bit tougher uh, as the schedule would dictate, a little bit tougher road uh, coming down the home stretch. Uh, Richmond, you know, they had the week off after their loss to at VCU, um, and then uh, uh, you know uh, LaSalle came in. Sorry, I was trying to remember who they played. They gave up uh, a big lead to LaSalle. LaSalle went on a sixteen nothing run in that second half and actually took a one point lead, and Richmond responded and you know outscored them down the stretch. Uh, but I think Chris Mooney and his staff were encouraged about how they had a whole week off. You know, sometimes in those instances when you're coming off a tough loss like they had to VCU, you kind of want to – you can't wait to play again. Well, they had to wait, and they had to wait all the way to Saturday afternoon, but they responded well. They responded to uh, LaSalle's – LaSalle played, you know, excellent defense. Their guards are tough at LaSalle, um, and they responded to all of it and came away with a win that, you know, they really needed given – where they are in the standings, given the game that they came off of, and now moving forward, they get UMass tomorrow night, and then I think they're on the road on Saturday. So um, it was it was it was an important win for a bunch of different reasons for the Spiders last Saturday. Yeah, and, and, and you know part of their success, they need Jordan King to hit his average this season. It's eighteen point eight. Last two games, he was held to twelve against VCU, and then just thirteen against LaSalle. They need him, you know, scoring eighteen and twenty uh, like he has earlier this season. Well, but also they also got great contributions from Jai Bailey and Isaiah Bigelow, who really at a, at a point in the second half where you know you could tell the Spiders were getting a little frustrated offensively. You could see it on the, especially Isaiah Bigelow's face. He just came down and said, you know, the heck with this. Boom, he puts it up and hits a three. Boom, comes down. I'm not messing with you guys. I'm going to hit another one. And uh, it, it was really it was an offensive uh, outburst that you might not have expected from those two guys. And that bodes well for them down the stretch as well, that even when their best player, like you said, isn't hitting his season total, you have other guys on which you can rely because uh, uh, Neil Quinn is dealing with a little bit of a hip issue. He played in that game, wasn't exactly 100%, but he was effective enough. Um, the, the, the biggest surprise to me this whole weekend was, I don't know how Deron Holmes is considered preseason player of the year. I've seen him twice now and have been completely unimpressed, especially in that game against VCU. They had Toby Lawal and uh, the other forward in foul trouble. Um, Furman. Uh, God, thank you. Furman, they both had four fouls with four minutes to go. That is where your player of the year, who can be a post-up guy, needs to take over a game, and he was nowhere to be found. He was 5 of 13 from the foul line. And I don't know how a player of the year can put in performances like that in games that his team really needs and still be considered a player of the year candidate. I was completely unimpressed. I know he's got ability, and I know he's going to have good games, 
But uh, when he comes, he doesn't want to see Richmond. He doesn't want to see Welcome to Richmond again <laughs> as, you know, as long as he can help it because he did not play well here in either of those games. And, and to be honest with you, Lane, he disappeared in the big game last year, the A-10 championship game against VCU. So he's certainly a great player, but maybe not living up to the big moment. That's Lane Casadante. Follow him on social media at Lane CTV Sports. Thanks, Lane. All right, Adam. Thanks for having me. Have a great week. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Brayle will inbound to Bennett at midcourt. He comes to the near side with the dribble, gets a screen. Holmes has got it top of the key. He will drive right side, throws it up off the glass. It's no good. Ball tipped. Picked up by Shulga. And that is going. Let's see. To do it. Ball game. Rams win. Rams win. Rams win, Rams win, Rams win. Big win over the Dayton Flyers. And now VCU has all week to prepare for a road test at St. Louis. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. VCU's home for Ram Nation. You know you can hear every game right here on 910 The Fan. Now, at 105.1 FM with the extended pregame show starting Friday night at 6.15 before I pass it off to Robbie Robinson and Rodney Ashby. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, founder of VCU Ram Nation, Matt Shelton-Eyed. What's going on, Matt? Adam, what's good, man? So I, I, I do want, want you to start by painting a picture of what the stew was like against Dayton because I was out there in Vegas and had extreme FOMO. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I mean, I think probably all your listeners have more fun about you being in Vegas. <laughs> you know, so I think uh, one of the, the best ways to describe it was one of my Ram Nation business partners texted our group chat after the game. He said the, the game tonight felt nostalgic. Mm-hmm. And basically anyone who's been to a VCU game really, you know, during the, sort of that peak Shaka era, and, and through Will Wade, um, that that was the feel, it, you know, big time rival. It's a Friday night sellout. Um, the Peppas are on fire. You've got people from Barstool in the building doing their thing. <laughs> yeah, it was just um, it was just such a such a great vibe. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I saw the the bits. I think it's Mincy uh, was hanging out with the Peppas before the game. He did like the free throw and half court shot uh, during the game. He even did a workout with Coach Roos. It was cool to see VCU get promoted on a national level from Barstool Sports. Uh, but Matt, I, I do gotta call you out on something. I know you're not a fan of the Sean Barstow fadeaway jumper, but it was falling against Dayton. I personally love that shot because he can get it whenever he wants, Matt. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Um, I'm a data nerd. And he's put up better numbers. And, you know, he had a really good year two years ago uh, inside the arc at Utah State. But as a data nerd, he takes way too many difficult shots that only count for two points. So I just, I hate it. But it was falling. It's nice when it goes in. But it's a, you know, it's fool's gold to see that. So no, don't, don't get, don't get into that shot after this. <laughs> We don't want that. <laughs> you know what was falling, though? That was Jason Nelson's first three three-point shots. I mean, how huge was that? He was starting the last few games, comes off the bench, and comes out swinging. It was massive. I mean, yeah, I think he maybe he hit his first three. Yeah. You know, and, I mean, Dayton, that, that's the thing. It's, you know, when you play a top 25 team, and then they're, they're, they're one of your rivals, too, 
it's kind of, yeah, you're walking into the ring a bit with Mike Tyson and you need to be able to like punch back. And I just think him starting it off, obviously (laughs) it was an extremely low scoring game, but just, you know, kind of setting the tone early of like, all right, we're here, we're here to play. And it's not just these guys. It's, it's me too. Um, I think that was a that was definitely a great way to start start the start the night. For the BTS. defensive effort was terrific by the Rams. Lawal and Christian Furman deserve a lot of credit, but I thought an unsung hero defensively was Kwani Kwani. Two K had a huge block and a steal. Finished the game uh, with four points, two assists, three rebounds. He's been absolutely sensational. He's shooting sixty two percent from three in, in the Atlantic Ten. That leads the conference. Leads the conference. He's just been great. I mean, he started off. At VCU, really slow. He missed his first 13 or 16 or whatever threes. But he's he's been pretty phenomenal. Uh, plays D. You cannot leave him open on offense. Uh, he can score inside and outside of the arc. And, yeah, he was just, um, you know, he's he's one of many talented players on this roster. And it's really just a very deep team. Let's dive into what you've been seeing defensively. I know our buddy Zach Joaquin, Richmond Times-Dispatch, had, had a good article where he called it Odom Havoc. I mean, really, it's not like they're causing turnovers, but they're so tall and they have so much size and length, they're making people struggle to even get open looks. They always seem to have a hand in someone's face. That's the big thing I've noticed. Yeah, and I think that's something people people early in the season would mention our length and how long this team is, how big this team is. But I think I think maybe a sort of an underrated struggle to the beginning of the year was none of these guys had played together. Yeah. And so coaching staff had to learn who plays well with each other, what are the combinations where yeah, we can score but we're not getting cooked on defense. And I think that's really sort of the the thing um that's kind of clicking now is Guys know where they're supposed to be. They know how to communicate with each other. And, and, and now that, that length and athleticism can really shine. And, yeah, we're not forcing turnovers, but I think we're like sixth or something in the nation in effective field goal percentage defense. And that's terrifying when you're near the opposition. You're like, all right, we're going to struggle to score against these guys. So it's been, it's been great. Certainly growing pains this season with all the new players. I think back to the first two games in Orlando and, of course, the first two games in conference play. But now the team's developed chemistry. And what I love is you have guys who are really growing in confidence. I I, I looked at Christian Furman. Yes, he was 2 of 8, but there were no hesitation on those shots that he was shooting from the paint. And I want him to keep shooting those shots. I think they will eventually start to fall. And then Michael Bell. Right, he had the big game against Fordham, and then against Dayton, you know, he only scored. Uh, actually, yeah, he only he scored uh, only one point, but he had the confidence to take his guy off the dribble a, a few times, and you didn't see that early in the season. So you're seeing a team that's starting to come together, and individuals are growing in confidence. Right, and that's the thing when you think about Christian and Bell. Technically, Furman is a sophomore. But he, he had played just about as many minutes as a D1 college player as Bell did coming into the season. So, you know, it takes time. It takes being on the court, being in there in, you know, pivotal situations to really gain confidence um, just as in yourself as a player, but just also knowing, hey, if I screw up, coach isn't going to pull me. And so, yeah, these guys are closer to sophomores than they are freshmen. And, you know, it, it, it just takes a while to adapt. Even though Bell had come from playing professional basketball in Europe, you know, you gotta you gotta learn what's going on in, in the Division One college hoops, and yeah, they're just well beyond where they were to start the season. 
Matt, you know I'm all aboard the Zeb train. He's been my favorite player all season long. Loved him last year as soon as he stepped on the court with that much size at a point guard position and incredible athleticism. I feel like there's a lot of maturity with Zeb Jackson that may not be talked about. He was scoring almost 16 points a game at the beginning of the season. Well, now he's taken a role that's a step back and more of a point guard, more of a captain. I looked at the box score, which jumps out, zero turnovers against a very good defensive Dayton team. Right. Well, Dayton, I will say, they're not a big turnover-forcing team. They're very much like us defensively. But, yeah, Zeb has just come a long way. I mean, people forget he was on an Elite Eight team at Michigan, so he's got tons of experience. He got sort of buried in the depth chart on Rose's squad with, you know, Nunn and Baldwin and then with Nick Kern coming on. And so it's nice to see him getting really his time to shine, even though we do have a talented roster of guards. And the one thing that I really think about Zeb is, you know, obviously we are defending at a high level, but Zeb is a little bit of that sort of havoc throwback. He heats up the ball. He can really bring the intensity. And it's, yeah, so he's kind of like a bridge to the, to the previous staff and team. And, and it's, it's nice to see him really have his best year ever. Matt, always appreciate you taking the time. Everybody, check out VCURamNation.com. Follow them at VCURamNation on Twitter. Uh, last last thing here, final thoughts. How cool is it Vince Williams will be uh, competing in the Panini Rising Stars Challenge? That's pretty wild. I, I saw that last night. I think, did Burns play in that as well? What's that? I think Burns played in that as well, right? I, yeah, I think he, yeah, I think he did a couple years ago. Yeah, it's great. I think the beauty of Vince is, you know, you never hear from him. He just shows up, does the work, and you really love to see those guys succeed. That is Matt Shelton I, the founder of VCU Ram Nation here on The Fan. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for the Washington Commanders, who are in the middle of the most important offseason in the past 20 years for this franchise. Dan Snyder is finally gone. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Which old witch? That bitch Dan Snyder. Josh Harris has fully taken over. He's made his first hire, head coach Dan Quinn, who brought in Cliff Kingsbury and Joe Witt to be the OC and DC, respectively. Joining us right now to break down the commander's offseason and talk a little NFL draft on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, it's David Harrison. What's going on, David? Hey, what's up, man? How you been? Good, man. So on Friday from Radio Row, Damon Amendolora made headlines crushing Cliff Kingsbury on Craig Hoffman's show. Have you heard the clip, or, or can I read it for you? I've, I've seen the quote. I haven't heard it, but I've seen the quote. Yeah, basically he, what he was saying is Cliff Kingsbury keeps failing upwards. How would you respond yeah. to that? <laughs> I mean... You know, when, when you when you when you stat scout, obviously you can see that, right? And I think anybody who looks at the numbers and Cliff Kingsbury's history and then records and all that stuff, you can you can certainly see that. But you know, that's that's the tricky part about these these coaching hire you know processes is you know what is what is the role that he's expected to fill, what it was required of that role, and how does that fit? That that goes beyond wins and losses. You know, I mean, nobody goes into a coaching search, whether it be for a coordinator or anything else. I mean, you you look at Bobby Johnson, right? If we're if we're if we're hiring based on stats, Bobby Johnson's not getting a job in Washington. So, you know, it, it goes beyond the numbers. And I've never met Cliff. I've never talked to him. You can see the benefits potentially in his scheme, certainly. And I think that when you take away the head coaching duties and responsibilities 
uh, you know, and, and you add in the factor that Dan Quinn is not running the defense. I think that's a really key part of this whole thing. So that if Cliff gets into the weeds, because one of the one of the principal things that Cardinals media will tell you about it is that when his team got bogged down, he just never really knew how to work his way out of those problems. Well, when Cliff Kingsbury's offense gets bogged down in Washington, he's not just going to do it by himself. He's also going to have Dan Quinn, who's free and available to help him out in that. And also Brian Johnson coming from Philadelphia uh, in whatever role he's going to you know uh, possess as well. So there's a lot of checks and balances and potentials come out here. The the thing that really struck me actually, Adam, about that quote. Uh, that, that he said with, uh, with, with Hoffman was uh, he said that Cliff keeps getting plum jobs. So apparently the commanders, that's a, that's a plum job now for the, <laughs> for the Washington commanders. That's, that's impressive. David, I like your explanation because, you know, Michael Phillips thought there, there, we should be a little bit concerned about Dan Quinn not calling the plays on defense. So you think that's going to help him, you know, help Cliff and some other things? I mean, you know, I've always kind of been a fan of coaches that don't run one side of the football. I think that the head coach, you're, your principal duty is obviously to be responsible for the entire team, and and any head coach that also calls one side of the ball, they're they're definitely going to stand on the podium and and take responsibility for both sides of the ball. But I just think that from a managerial standpoint and a leadership standpoint, you know, that's when you, when you look at some of the teams that that kind of have their their biggest struggles, and and this comes from me covering uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well for for a long period of time. Where right now, specifically Todd Bowles, uh, you know, he's the head coach, but he also runs his defense as well. You go back to the year they had with Byron Leftwich. Uh, and even this last year with Dave Canales, when the Buccaneers offense gets you know into the weeds, it's basically on that offensive coordinator and the staff on the offense to get themselves out of that because they don't have a head coach who can dedicate uh, his full attention to what's going on on either side of the ball. So, you know, there's, there's definitely bonuses to both sides of, of the coin, I think. And I think everybody, it's, it's like any, it's like the 3-4 and the 4-3. Everybody's going to have their preferences. It really boils down to how does Dan Quinn uh, accentuate the advantages of not running one side of the ball or the other? Um, versus, you know, the other the other path you could take. David Harrison with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, host of Locked On Commanders, and you could check out his work covering the Commanders for Sports Illustrated. Uh, go on record here, David. Percent chance the Commanders draft a quarterback at number two? Right now, I would go I'm gonna go eighty-eight percent. Okay. I'm gonna go eighty-eight percent right now that the commanders draft quarterback at number two. We'll see what the offseason brings. Uh, you know, between now and April, but as it stands right now, I think it's it's pretty high. And give us a brief explanation of your thoughts for Jaden Daniels, Drake May, and of course Caleb Williams. Uh, you know, it's really interesting because the more I look at these three guys, it's almost like a Goldilocks situation, right? You got three quarterbacks that all kind of like if you want to put them in in a generalized group, uh, enough arm to get the job done, and you know at least two years of experience, but also athleticism. But then you break it down further and. Jaden Daniels has the most athleticism. Drake May is your most statuesque type pocket passer, even though he's got plenty of athleticism. And then Caleb Williams is kind of the blend of both. So it's it's kind of like which flavor do you really want? And when you look at Dan Quinn and Cliff Kingsbury uh, and even Adam Peters, like which which flavor of quarterback are are they going to want? Because eventually, you know, one of those guys is going to be the number three out of the batch. And if if number one is gone, are you happy with number two? And you know, if you if you do make a trade, if you if you're happy with number three as well, can you trade back, collect some more picks, and potentially move back with the Patriots, for example, uh, and be happy with that guy as well? So it's it's just interesting because every time every time I do an episode talking about one of these quarterbacks, you know, the Jaden Daniels crowd calls me a moron for for maybe talking about Drake May's positivity. Then I talk about Jaden Daniels' positive attributes, and the Drake May crowd calls me a moron. So it's it's just a lot of fun because it really is just a flavor preference and which one you like more than the other. 
David, at the introductory press conference for Dan Quinn, Josh Harris said that Dan still got some more tricks up his sleeve. Uh, we, yeah. It feels like we've seen them as the commanders hired uh, some big names in Izzo Norton and then John Pagano. Can you tell us about yeah. the rest of Dan Quinn's staff? Yeah, I mean, I really, I really like what they're doing as far as you know, fleshing out the, the brain trust, right? And that's kind of what we just talked about like, as far as the offensive staff. You know, none of these guys is doing it by themselves. You know, obviously someone's going to be in charge. Uh, but I think that at the end of the day, they're really putting together kind of a brain trust of experience and proven track records. I mean, uh, the Pagano name, you know, carries enough enough credit by itself. But, you know, I think that this Pagano brother is, is really – he's proven his track record. He's had a lot of success in the places that he's gone and has really been involved in a lot of really successful teams. And even going back again, we talked about Bobby Johnson. You know, I know a lot of people are kind of down on that, on that move. And I, I completely get the concerns. It's like Cliff Kingsbury, right? I get the concerns on the surface absolutely but there are, there's also positivity here i mean you look at you know what the giants have been going through and you know i don't think you know injuries you can't blame somebody for an injury right i mean if you go out and sign a guy who just tore his acl last week and expect him to start okay maybe i can blame you for that but for the most part i mean injuries are just part of it and when you look at the giants offensive line a lot of the deficiencies that led to some of these poor rankings involve depth you know one thing one part of it is depth, a depth decision which i don't know if we can place depth uh, roster management control and, and all those things on an offensive line coach. I think that's a little unfair. Uh, but then you also have the, the issue Patricia Traina of Locked On Giants has pointed out in her coverage of the Giants that they went through training camp and really never solidified their starting five or didn't at least do it until later in the process. And that starting five never really had an opportunity to fully gel. And then the injuries also crept up, which just completely prevented that unit from gelling. Now, that indecisiveness, you know, was that Dable? Was it was it Johnson? Like, you know, that's a question that I don't have the answer to right now. So certainly that could be placed there. But I think you also have to look at the advantage or the, the development of, of Andrew Thomas and, and you look good or you look at that as a positive. But also you go back to the time with the Bills and his efficiency, his offensive line's efficiency, the amount of pressures they gave up, the amount of sacks they gave up during his time with the Buffalo Bills gets better for the most part, but it also coincides with the improvement of Josh Allen. And I think that's Another part of this conversation, we talk a lot about quarterbacks and offensive line pressure and what they and how they impact quarterback play. But quarterback play also impacts the offensive line, and you know not all of these pressures are going to be on the quarter or on the on the line. They're also not going to be on the quarterback. So I think that's an important part of the, the total equation. When you look at the Giants and the quarterbacks that they were playing with as well, and their tendencies to hold on to the ball too long, do things like that. So I think it's important not to uh, judge any of these coaches too highly or even or even too low. Uh, until we really get to see them mesh. But I think at the end of the day, the, the key has been experience, right? Starting from the hiring of Dan Quinn, like every single person that's coming in here has experience. And I also like, Adam, and I don't know if this is intentional, but the Washington Commanders, they've got coaches on this staff that now have intimate knowledge from just last season on seven opponents going into 2024. And I don't think that is that should be an underrated factor of this coaching staff. That's how you turn it around with the quickness. And DQ Dan Quinn is getting a lot of positive feedback about most of his staff, and how much does this prove that Ron Rivera's staff was underwhelming? Is it just one holdover in Tavita Pritchard? I mean, Dan Quinn feels like is doing what Mike Shanahan did when he got here, assembling an all-star staff that you're going to see in the NFL for quite some time. Yeah, Tavita Pritchard and the Ryan Kerrigan is, is going to be sticking around. You know, right. there's some other positions, and Bobby Ingram, I haven't heard anything official on his future, you know, uh, things like that, but... Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we go back to the reason they said they hired Dan Quinn, and part of it is his, his own leadership ability, but also his connections. Uh, and, I mean, the amount of coaches that he's bringing in that don't even fit necessarily, uh, quote-unquote, traditional coaching, you know, staff positions and all those things. I think 
really when you look back at, at Ron Rivera's time and you compare it to another coach, like, you know, the, the big emphasis for Dan Quinn is learning from what he experienced in Atlanta and building off of that. And I think you're seeing that in the, in the development of his staff uh, as well. He's not just bringing in a bunch of Falcons guys, a bunch of Cowboys guys, a bunch of Seahawks guys. They're coming from across the National Football League. Um, and, you know, Ron, we, it's been well chronicled. You know, a lot of his coaches came with him from Carolina. They came with him from other past experiences or there are other perceived, you know, reasons that he made the decisions he did. And, and that kind of goes back to the whole search for the GM and for the head coach and for all these guys is as long as they're making these decisions for the right reasons, then tends, you know, things tend to at least go positively enough that you can build forward uh, in future iterations. It's when you start making decisions for the wrong reasons uh, that I think sometimes people can kind of trip over themselves. Follow David on social media at dharrison82. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. It is AWOD Radio here on February 13th, 2024, the year of the girlfriend, except I haven't gotten anything for Valentine's Day yet. We'll figure that out next live on The Fan.